Hey there, thanks for joining us here at Compass Church, where we are making God accessible to everyone. If you have any questions or want to learn more about us as a church, head over to our website, compassbn.com. We hope this inspires you and gives you practical ways to live out your faith. Enjoy the message. Well, hey, I'm Chris. I'm the pastor at Compass, and thank you again for joining me. So according to Shakespeare, all the world's a stage and all the men and women are merely players. That's what he said. We all have a role and we all play our parts in this great story of the world, according to him. Now, bear in mind that he wrote that 400 years ago, okay? Before the internet, before YouTube, before there was social media. And if it was true that we are all performing our lives for the audience of the people around us then, then it's totally true like on steroids now because it has never been easier for a person to be famous. Our platforms on social media and the internet have made it possible for literally every part of our lives to be performed, captured, and broadcast to thousands of people every day. Every picture, every opinion, uh, every event can be uploaded and shared to an audience of people all over the world. And I think that in some ways it has reprogrammed us to at best expect to be seen performing and at worst to want to be seen performing. I mean, this happened to me literally just this week, okay? So Terry and I started walking around our neighborhood every day with our dog because, I mean, well, the COVID weight is not coming off all by itself. And so we want to go walk together when it's not hot and when it fits our work schedules. And so because of that, we've been getting up at 5.45 in the morning to do it. Okay, let me say that again. 5.45 in the morning. A few days ago, we were walking behind Echo, who's our dog. And I thought, you know, I should take a picture of Echo and I should post it to my Instagram. So I whipped my phone out and I started getting the camera ready. And as I was doing this, I started thinking to myself, I was like, man, this is gonna be great because with this one picture, when I post it, it'll show the time the picture was posted and then everyone will know how disciplined we are, that we get up super early to exercise every day and everyone will know that we're also really good and caring dog owners and that's gonna make me look awesome. And then I remembered that we're literally in the middle of a message series where we are talking about not doing things for the praise and admiration of people, but doing them to honor God. And I realized that I had just busted myself. I totally wanted to post that picture so everyone would praise and admire me. Just last Sunday, we talked about what Jesus taught about this stuff. In Matthew 6, 1, this is what Jesus said. He said, watch out. Don't do your good deeds publicly to be admired by others, for you will lose the reward from your Father in heaven. I caught myself in that moment wanting to be admired by other people. I wanted the world to think that I get up super early. You know, I'm this early bird that catches the worm, but I don't. I'm a night owl. I hate the morning. I'm a huge jerk when I wake up first thing, especially if it's before the sun is fully up. And on top of that, we've only been doing this walking thing for like four days. It's not like some lifelong habit. Plus, I hate exercising, but I wanted my audience to think that I was this early bird fitness buff. So like an actor getting in the costume and heading out onto the stage of the world, I started playing the role that I wanted people to see. All the world was a stage 
and I caught myself playing a part without even realizing it or thinking about it. And for the record, once I realized how dumb I was being, I put my phone away before I took the picture. Although, Echo is a beautiful babe who should be absolutely admired, so I'm still gonna share this glorious picture of her. So, soak that in for just a moment. Good girl. So, Jesus had a name for people who lived out their religion to be seen and admired by others instead of being, um, instead of pointing honor to God. He called them hypocrites, which is pretty appropriate because the Greek word hypocrite literally just means an actor. A person who performed on stage playing a role for an audience was a hypocrite. Last week we talked about this and, and how if, if all the world is a stage and everyone in it are actors, then followers of Jesus should be performing for an audience of one. We perform for God. We don't perform our religion for our own glory, but we do it to bring glory to him. But sometimes that's harder than we think. And as Jesus continues this section of teaching, he gives us three specific examples of how we get off track by living at our faith for the praise and the approval of others, rather than doing it for the approval of God. And today we're gonna to talk about that first example that's found in Matthew 6, 2. This is what Jesus said. When you give to someone in need, don't do as the hypocrites do, blowing trumpets in the synagogues and in the streets to call attention to their acts of charity. I tell you the truth, they have received all the reward that they will ever get. So last week we talked about how in ancient Israel, it was an honor culture. Um, so the more honor that other people gave you, the, the higher esteem in which they looked at you and held you, the better you were. And as a result, it became normal. It was even expected for people of high stature, like the religious leaders of the day, to draw attention to themselves when they were, per, for, when they were performing their religious acts, because that's what you did to get honor. And the first religious act that Jesus shows us being, that's being corrupted to get honor and approval from others rather than God is the act of giving. So before we start, I want to acknowledge that anytime we talk about giving, things can get weird. Okay, talking about money and what we should do with it is always a touchy subject, but it's also one that Jesus addresses over and over again. And I think that's because generosity is a central part of how he expects and wants his followers to live. And so there's a couple things that I think we can take away from what Jesus says in Matthew 6, 2 through 3 and Matthew 6, 2 through 4. And so let's, let's read this again. Let's see what Jesus says. He says, when you give to someone in need, don't do as the hypocrites do, the actors, performers, blowing trumpets in the synagogues and streets to call attention to their acts of charity. I tell you the truth, they have received all the reward they will ever get, but... When you give to someone in need, don't let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. Okay, so we talked last week about the desire to be praised uh, instead of honoring God. And so I would recommend you go back and listen to that podcast or watch that video if you want to get caught up on that. But there's something I want you to see. Jesus says this twice in this passage. He says, when you give to someone in need, not if you give to someone in need, not on the occasion you give to someone in need but when? And the first thing I think that we can see in this, the first point is that caring for the poor is assumed for followers of Jesus. So what the church has done over the years has been to create this, 
this kind of neat and tidy system in which its members give to the church and then the church uses that money, use that money for ministry. On the whole, I mean, it's a decent system and it can do a lot of good. I mean, just take Compass, for example. Since the pandemic really started in March of 2020, Compass has given more than $9,000 in benevolence funds to help people in and around our church who found themselves in some pretty desperate need. And that's money that you gave that we stewarded to help people. But while the Jewish synagogues of the first century collected and distributed funds, much like we do, um, there was much more to helping the poor that existed in Jewish scriptures. Let me check this out in Deuteronomy chapter 15. This is what God is saying in his voice. He says, there should be no poor among you, but if there are any poor Israelites in your towns, when you arrive in the land your Lord your God has given you, do not be hard-hearted or tight-fisted toward them. Instead, be generous and lend them whatever they need. Give generously to the poor, not grudgingly, for the Lord your God will bless you in everything you do. There will always be some in the land who are poor, and that is why I'm commanding you to share freely with the poor and with other Israelites in need. There's some things God says in this. I mean, the first thing God says is that there should be no poor among you. I mean, that's that's a strong statement. And what it says is this, is that God's ultimate desire is that there be no poverty. God's ultimate desire from the beginning is that everyone in need would be taken care of. And he not only tells us his heart for poverty, that he doesn't want it to exist, even though he understands the reality that it does because we are humans who live in a broken world, but God shares his solution for poverty. And it's that his people who have enough share with those who don't have enough. For some, this is a radical way of thinking, but according to ancient Jewish thought, wealth was just a loan from God. And, and the poor actually had a claim on the possessions of the rich. And, and rich people were proactively instructed to share the wealth God had given them with the poor. So from the very beginning, a system of poverty relief was built into the Jewish law, the law that God gave. And, and it's not just the Old Testament. This is how the church in the first century lived out their faith as well. In Acts chapter 4, it says all the believers were united in heart and mind, and they felt that what they owned was not their own. So they shared everything they had. The apostles testified powerfully to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and God's great blessing was upon them all. And there were no needy people among them because those who owned land or houses would sell them and bring the money to the apostles to give to those in need. The first Christians there ever were had such unity in heart and in mind around the resurrection of Jesus that loving and caring for the poor among them became a priority. That was the result of the unity they had under the resurrection of Christ. And let me, let me say that again, okay? The response of the first church to the overwhelming unity brought to them by the death and resurrection of Jesus was to overwhelmingly care for each other by giving. You see, there's this connection between the cross and caring for others by, by meeting their physical needs 
And, and that connection should come as no surprise to us. I mean, we can hear the connection between the cross and caring for others hinted at in Jesus' words in Luke 4, when he says this, that the spirit of the Lord is upon me, for he has appointed me to bring good news to the poor. God has anointed me to bring good news to who? To the poor. And then we hear this connection again um, in, in Luke chapter 3, in the words of John the Baptist. And John says this, he says, If you have two shirts, give one to the poor. If you have food, share it with those who are hungry. Give your excess to help those who don't have enough. And then again, we hear the connection between the cross and caring for others again in the words of John, who is one of Jesus's closest friends and disciples. And this is what he writes in 1 John 3, 16 through 17. He says, we know what real love is because Jesus gave up his life for us. So we also ought to give up our lives for our brothers and sisters. And then he says this, if someone has enough money to live well and sees a brother or sister in need but shows no compassion, how can God's love be in that person. John says this, he says that Jesus gave up his life for us. And so we too should give up our lives for others. That is what real love is. Giving up our lives for others the way Jesus gave up his life for us. And how does John say that we should do that? He says we do that by sharing our material resources with those in need. Which leads us to the second takeaway um, from what Jesus is teaching here. And it's this, it's that gospel love is expressed economically. So over and over again, when we hear Jesus and his followers teach about loving others, it's framed in economic terms. It's framed in terms of, of the sharing of money, the sharing of material resources, of work and time, work and time which are worth money. We tend to think about love in terms of this feeling that we have for others, or, or love is what motivates us to tell them the truth about their sin. But that's just not how Jesus describes it. The Good Samaritan, he, he pays for a beaten man to be restored, and he pays for him to have food and a, and a place to sleep in a hotel. The father of the prodigal son, he butchers his most valuable animal to throw a feast. Uh, in a, Jesus, a story Jesus tells a good ruler, he forgave the debts of his str struggling subjects out of love. You see, gospel love costs us something in economic terms. So let me show you this verse again, right? To really let something else sink in. I'm going to read it. 1 John 3, 16 through 17. We know what real love is because Jesus gave up his life for us. So we also ought to give up our lives for our brothers and sisters. If someone has enough money to live well, and sees a brother or sister in need, but shows no compassion, how can God's love be in that person? Look at that verse. See this. When we give to help others, we are literally reenacting Jesus's death on the cross. We are laying down what is ours for the good of others and giving it freely. Every time we give to help others, we are repeating the truth of the gospel that God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. When we give, we model the life and death of Jesus in perhaps one of the most explicit ways that we can because giving is the gospel. 
We're called to proactively seek out and meet the needs of the poor among us, to leverage what we have in excess in order to provide for those who don't have enough. God's called us to lay down our rights to what is ours and to give those rights to others, to live like what we own is not our own, like the first church. So what, what do we do? I mean, the truth is, is that we can't wipe out poverty in the whole world, but we can start in our circle. We can start by opening our eyes to the need around us and taking action. So I would just say, ask yourself these questions. First, do I care about the physical needs of others? I mean, does this stuff even matter to you? Or do you deep down only give because of how you want others to see you and perceive you? And depending on how you answer that, you may need to ask God to do a work first in your heart. Second, ask this, who in my sphere of influence is in need and how can I help them? Maybe they need financial help. Maybe they need groceries. You know, maybe they need someone to help mow their lawn or clean their gutters or fix their car or pay a medical bill. Fact is we can't see a need unless we start looking. So let's start looking. And then finally, ask yourself this, what do I have in excess that could be given to others? John the Baptist said, if you have two coats, give one. If you have extra food, feed someone who needs it. What do you have enough of that could be shared or leveraged for other people who are in need? Could you spend or give a big chunk of money to buy socks for Sock Summer or, or the Compass Closet or, or, or to Home Sweet Home Mission or St. Jude or, or Compassion International? Do you have time that you could spend to take a trip to the Southern border to minister to the needs of immigrants who live in tent cities? Do you have a rake that you could use to rake stuff for people who need stuff raked but can't do it themselves? When we give, we enact the gospel in a tangible way in the real world. It meets real needs and it communicates the truth of Jesus' death on the cross in action. The first century church started a movement that changed the world. And that movement was primarily known for how they cared for the poor. And I want that to be said of us. I want it to be said of me. So let's love the world like our Father in heaven loved the world, by giving. Thanks again for joining us today. If you want to learn more about us as a church, get connected, need prayer, or anything else at all, head over to our website, compassbn.com.